Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we're going to be doing the uh, novel American Psycho uh, by Brett Easton Ellis. And this is going to be jumping a little bit ahead in time as far as literature goes, and it's going to jump firmly into the postmodern. And I feel that one of the, you know, best authors to introduce someone to the postmodern uh, is actually Ellis. Um, his, his novels contain so many of the elements of the postmodern and yet still maintain the ability to show you the familiar. Uh, now, one of the problems with this, though, is as you read this novel, uh, the farther you get away from this in time, the less likely people are to get all of the things that he's talking about. So novels like this, while they can be very um, spot on as far as, you know, criticism of the present or the near past, uh, they tend to, they will tend to have probably have problems in the future. For example, a hundred years from now, I doubt if people are going to be able to get much out of this novel because most of the things he talks about are going to be things that by that time will be, you know, ancient history and nobody remembers anymore. And even the technology now, this novel is set in the late 80s. Um, you know, the things that he talks about and he does a lot of, you know, mentioning of brands, mentioning of uh, different technologies and stuff. A lot of these things now are even uh, very dated, even, you know, just 40 years, 30 years later. Um, but it, it, it does give a good window into the time period. And one of the things I, you know, like to compare with this novel is this is kind of the dark side of the um, Reagan 80s. You know, the optimistic, uh, the yuppies, the, you know, pro-business, uh, money is everything, you know, looks are everything. He really does kind of bring in the dark side of what all of this is. You know, the opposite side of the coin, if any of you are familiar with late 80s television, might be a show like Family Ties, where you have a character, Alex Keaton, played by Michael J. Fox, who is supposed to be kind of uh, the ideal of, you know, the, the young Reagan Republican. Well, Bateman, Patrick Bateman, which is the main character in this, is less than an ideal, but more of a you know, uh, a realistic view of what that could be. Uh, Bateman's world is filled with the super superficial. Everything's about surface looks. Um, things are valuable because they're expensive or they're hard to get. You know, one of the big stresses is being able to make sure you're in the right clubs, wearing the right clothes, eating at the right restaurants, you know, everything has to be picture perfect. Uh, the characters in this are in their mid-20s, and they're already obsessed about looking old or getting fat. And this is another one of the, you know, things that we start to see really taking off in the 1980s. It's this um, almost cult of youth. The idea that even if you're 60, you have to be able to look like you're 18 years old. And this is very much the time period when this is taking off. Now, Ellis 
is kind of amplifying all of this a little bit, but not really too much when you, you know, look at the, the area that this is set in. Um, this is something, though, that for most of America would have seen amplified at the time, but as time has gone on, we really have moved closer to this. You know, think about how much people worry about um, surface things. Uh, now we have, you know, obviously social media. If your social media post doesn't get so many likes or so many, you know, uh, repostings, then uh, you're a failure. You know, then, you know, you, you're a nobody. Uh, your, your value is based on affirmation from the outside. And this is where a lot of this world that this character and all of these characters are living in revolves around. It's all about validation from the outside. And as you start to get into this novel, you start to get into the internal uh, mind of Bateman and the you know dark side of his life. Now, Bateman is a serial killer, maybe. This is something you have to read the book, and it, it's not even clear in the movie. Um, you, you get, you know, him talking about all of these people that he's killed and how he's killed them and spoiler alert, you get, you know, later on in the movie or in the book and you realize yeah, he may not have killed anybody at all. This might be all just things in his head. So part of this goes back to with Bateman, uh, something that's much older than modernism or postmodernism uh, goes back actually to uh, the American romantic writer. Edgar Allan Poe, where you have the unreliable narrator. Uh, you have a person who is obviously not sane, like in Follow the House of Usher, for example, or The Telltale Heart. You know, and you have this person who is obviously not sane, and they're the ones telling you the story. And so everything they tell you, you have to wonder how much of this is real, how much of this is their fantasy life, um, and really, this is something that the postmodern writers and the postmodern tradition kind of takes off with this, because it does play a lot with what is real. You know, you can even read this novel and go, okay, is, is Bateman even an executive in this company like he claims to be, or is he, you know, the coffee boy and all of this is delusions in his head? Um, it, it becomes really hard to draw the line of, what is the delusion and what is the reality? Is he actually a serial killer? Uh, is he actually just a guy that fantasizes about this stuff all day? You're not given a clear one way or another. And part of what uh, the author, Ellis, is doing with this novel is he's, he's sort of representing uh, a type of monster, the serial killer. And using that type of monster, he's not just focused on, this is not just a story about serial killer. This is a story about American society. This is a story about modern culture. Um, if, if you look into, if you dig into any of the monsters from any of the time periods, they really do give you a reflection of the deep down fears that people in the society have. You know, the, the, go back to the Middle Ages and stories about werewolves. You know, werewolves were this constant fear that we were going to lose our humanity and go back to being beasts and just savagely tear everything apart. You know, we'll, 
were only held together by the thinnest of thread of being humans and being decent, and at any moment that call of the beast might overwhelm us. For, you know, vampires, you have the idea of, you know, sexuality that is forbidden, um, and sexuality that, uh, you know, society keeps trying to push down, and it keeps trying to break through and undermine everything, undermine all the values. You have to remember the heyday of the vampire stories really comes about in the Victorian period, where there's a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of anxiety about sex and about you know how we keep this under control, and vampires are very much sort of an overthrowing of those taboos, a breaking of social boundaries, and that's why they're demonized. You know, look at monsters like Godzilla that come out of, you know, the post-atomic uh, bomb era in uh, Japan. You know, the Japanese fears about the atomic bombs and radiation and how man's tinkering with nature uh, is creating monsters that will eventually overwhelm us. And so this American Psycho also fits into this trend. Uh, it's It's a horror story, sort of, but it's a horror story that says, is this where we're heading? You know, we've got the bright side of, you know, pro-big business, pro-money-making capitalism with people like Alex Keaton from Family Ties. And then we got the dark side of this of, well, we're actually moving into a world where everything's becoming more and more superficial. Everything is becoming less and less satisfying. And if you Think about it too. How many times have you purchased things and felt, you know, this is going to, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to get this. This is going to make me happy. And then you get it and you're like, oh. And, and then you have to find something else to purchase and move on to the next thing. And everything you purchase uh, doesn't do anything. It, it, it's a momentary satisfaction that quickly goes away. Um, and this is, a lot of what's going on in here and a lot of what Ellis is really looking at is, you know, where are we heading? Are we heading into a society where on the surface we're all beautiful and perfect bodies and perfect faces and perfect clothes and yet underneath we're just uh, bloodthirsty monsters that are tearing everything apart? And this is, you know, the, the two parts of Patrick Bateman, perfect man on the surface, beast underneath. And, you know, if you look at, you know, this, you can look at this from a broader social perspective and think about the fact of, you know, how much damage have we done to ourselves, to the world, to everything by this endless pursuit of things, by this endless quest for greed and validation. You know, how much have we eviscerated the real world, eviscerated real people in order to have a few things that, you know, we want or stack up lots of money. So this book definitely has a lot of relevance still. And I think in a lot of ways, it's even more relevant now than when it was written. But one of the difficult things about it could, can be the number of um, references to popular restaurants, popular fashion designers, because some of these are still around and some of them are long gone. And again, the technologies that were state of the art that, you know, he, he talks about are things that are long gone. 
And you even have passages where he goes into, or Bateman goes into these long discussions about things on popular culture. For example, he has a whole chapter where he talks about the pop rock band Huey Lewis and the News, which I guarantee you most younger people would have no clue who that is unless maybe they've watched the old Back to the Future movies. Uh, unless you were around in the 80s, you probably don't know who these guys are. And he has, you know, almost seven, eight pages where he just talks about the band and their albums and the significance of the songs and what this represents in culture. So he's almost trying to, uh, in the middle of this book, uh, become a literary critic himself. And he's applying it to music. And he's trying to find deeper meaning in what really is a very uh, commercial pop band. And he does this in, in various parts with other bands as well. He also has a section where he talks about in depth about some of Whitney Houston's songs and the cultural significance of it and how it, you know, signifies the triumph of love over everything. And it, it really gets into sort of this idea where he's living in a world, in a society that really has no meaning. And humans always want meaning. And if we can't find deep meaning, we'll basically invent it um, because it's something we need. We can't live in this constant world where everything is superficial and shallow and nothing really means anything. Um, there, there's no satisfaction in that life. There's no sense of, uh, uh, of, of accomplishment, no sense of, uh, of depth, of meaning. Uh, humans have always kind of struggled. Well, what does it all mean? What, what significance does it have? And sometimes we bury ourselves, you know, trying to run away from that question. And the faster we run away from it and the more we try to bury it, the more it comes up in other ways and often unhealthy ways, such as, you know, Bateman's uh, serial killing of women and mutilation of them, but also just in the mutilation of the self. You know, in a lot of ways, if you read this, that he didn't actually kill anyone, it's actually himself that he's mutilating and he's slicing apart and that he's trying to get something real that actually, you know, has substance and feels as opposed to just this endless moving from popular thing to popular thing, from expensive restaurant to expensive restaurant, the quest to be forever wealthy, forever young, forever beautiful. Um, and so this really is kind of a hard criticism of the 80s coming out in a time when everyone else was pretty much saying the 80s are the greatest and this is, you know, the golden age and this is the best things have ever been. I know people today who still think everything was perfect in the 80s. We were living in a perfect world and then when the 80s ended, it just all fell apart. Well, people in the 80s also felt that way about the 50s and People in the 50s were looking back to another time period. We've talked about this in the idea of the golden age fallacy. Most of the people who think the 80s were a perfect age, perfect decade, were mainly people who now are older, who were children or teenagers in that time period. And all they were immersed in was the surface glamour, the same way Bateman was immersed in it, you know, the 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 cool movies, the cool videos on MTV, the 
the happy music when everything was so much better. But when you really kind of dig in, which is what Ellis does in this book, it, you, you see that it wasn't all that. That was all on the surface. That's all looking back at and only seeing the surface. You know, we also had the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. We also had the Cold War still going on. We also had recessions. We also had lots of um, factories were getting rid of their workers and starting to try to ship jobs overseas. So you start to have a huge decline in the standard of living uh, for the middle class and for the working class. And what you're given instead is sort of the beginnings of you know, the, the culture of endless diversion, the culture of endless chasing after the things that I have to have that you don't really have to have, but advertising and, you know, society keeps telling you, yeah, you have to have these things or you don't have any value as a human. Okay, I'm going to break off this episode here. Um, I am going to come back a lot in later seasons to the postmoderns. This is actually a book that... Um, is, is worth doing over several episodes. And, and like I said, in later seasons, I will spend larger amounts of time on these things. Um, uh, Ellis also has some other books that are really uh, worth reading as well. Less Than Zero is one. Um, Glamorama is another. Uh, and so I, I do foresee so, at some point in the future, in future seasons, that we will be coming back and, and digging in this a little deeper and kind of going a little more uh, more specific with it and, and digging out some of the more finer points. But I am trying to keep my first couple seasons more introduction to this type of analysis, introduction to these types of ideas. Okay, I hope all of you are doing well and I hope all of you are staying safe. Have a good night.